I'm ready to make my credits count. I'm ready to take classes from a university that will help me build on my experience to prepare me for the future. A university that will make me feel supported, encouraged, and connected. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. Shout out to King's rookie Marvin Bagley for providing the intro music this week. I don't know if he knows that he provided the intro music for me this week, but shout out nonetheless. All right, let's start the show. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Sacktown Royalty Show. I'm your host, Tony Zipteris, and joining me on the podcast this week from Sacktown Royalty, Bryant West. Brian, how are you today? Good, Tony. Last time we talked, uh, we were very excited about this team, but uh, they weren't even over 500. And now, at the beginning of December, they are still one game over 500. And I didn't think uh, any of us expected that. I definitely didn't expect that. And I also didn't expect to record another positive podcast after all the uh, Williams and Jaeger drama of last week when me and Will recorded. But... It's hard not to be positive after you just beat the Phoenix Suns by, like, a million points. Yeah. Well, you know, what's so weird is that final score is just not indicative of just the savage beatdown that the Kings put on the Suns. And I think Greg was the one that said this on Twitter. Is this what it's been like to play the Kings in the last <laughs> right. couple of years? It's, it, that game was just incredible. I mean, on one hand, you can talk about how bad the Suns are, but the Kings from the last couple of years, even if they were playing a team that was legitimately worse than they are, you you can never be confident going into a game that they're going to win. And they just took that game by the throat early and just said, nope, we're not losing this. Did you watch the game? I assume you did since you're talking about it. Yeah, I watched, I watched almost all of it at a single point. It was just like, man, is this how other fans felt when their teams were playing the Kings? Because certain point of blow, it just gets boring even when it's your team blowing the other team out. Um, even, I mean, the Kings were up by 30 points and De'Aaron Fox didn't start playing well until the third quarter. And there was some point where Buddy Heald, like it was the second quarter and Buddy Heald was still outscoring the Suns' entire roster. So, it was a uh, interesting game to be sure, and not one that we've uh, had a you know not a type of game we've seen in the last couple of years. It was weird. I mean, first of all, that that Suns team is maybe granted they were without Devin Booker and TJ Warren. That's a huge part of why the game was so ugly. But that team that we saw play against the Kings is the maybe the worst basketball team I've seen in like five years. They just had n- nothing. They had no players. DeAndre Ayton couldn't get anything going, and I don't totally blame him because they have no point guards, and it's hard to be a young big in college, let alone yeah. the NBA, without a point guard. So I don't, I don't blame Ayton for that uh, loss, but, man, that Suns team looked terrible. Yeah, and you know what? One, the, I think uh, the main credit for Ayton's terrible game just has to go to Willie Cauley-Stein for how much we've all um, – wavered on Willie's performance this season. I mean, that his game against Indiana was not great. He was not good against Indiana, but against the Suns, like for some reason that switch just flipped and he 
he could immediately see they were just going to keep dumping the ball into Aiton because that's the entirety of their offense. And Willie just was a wrecking ball jumping in front of Aiton for they like, could not throw four an pass. Yeah, they could not. And that immediately set the tone for the entirety of the Kings night and just destroyed Aiton's desire to even be on the court right then. It was weird. I'm used to like, you know, we've been watching the Kings lose for 12 straight years. And I'm used to, you know, checking out at about the midway point in the third quarter, start checking my phone. Like I have the game on in the background. I'm doing other things. This was the first time in maybe, I don't know, that same 12 year period where I checked out because they were winning by so much. It was like yeah. six minutes left in the third Damn quarter. Much. And I was on my phone. I was like, hey, what else is on TV? I'm flipping through the channels because it's just boring at that point. And it was like, wow, you know, it's what. Must be like being a Warriors fan is like or something when you're winning these games by 30 points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It definitely was a strange experience. Well, before we move on from the Suns game completely, I should mention this here because I know there was a lot of rumblings about uh, Jaeger's rotation, of course, in a 40-point win, or what felt like a 40-point win, because um, Harry Giles, despite the blowout, only played, I think it was 10 minutes, and he didn't check in until, what, like seven minutes left in the fourth quarter? Um, and I saw some, yeah. some takes on Twitter. People were upset with Jaeger about why, you know, why isn't Giles playing 30 minutes in this game? It'd be good experience for him. Where do you fall on that? Well, I have pretty much been fine with Jaeger's rotations for much of the season. Um, I would like to see Bogey start, but he's been using Bogey so well as kind of that um, stagger fix the offense when either Fox or Buddy has to sit. So I'm not com- really going to be complaining about that. And Giles has been so inconsistent that I'm not one to complain when Costa gets minutes over Giles because Costa Kufos gives the Kings something that they otherwise completely lack in their bigs, you know, an actual really big, thick center who can rebound at a solid level, put his hands up and, guard the rim kings don't really have that dude otherwise on the roster so i don't mind costa getting veteran minutes because he's something that the kings need uh but against the suns i mean there's no reason why harry giles shouldn't have been in the second quarter if i had been jaeger i would have put harry in halfway through the second and just said okay you're going to play until you file out Mm -hmm. yeah there's not a game that is better suited for harry giles than blow out of this magnitude and and i do find it really weird that he didn't get into the fourth quarter and he did have three fouls in like 10 minutes so he did you know keep yeah. per 36 or whatever on that one um yeah, yeah. it was weird like, like i would have preferred to see harry giles play 30 minutes because we've never seen what 30 minutes of nba production harry giles can give you he just hasn't played that much ever um so it would have been nice just to see what that looks like uh at the same time i can only get so mad at a, a decision like that, but it's, it's one of those things with Jaeger where you're like, come on, man, just play the guy, just play him. What's the big deal? Yeah, but what are you going to do? It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that just, you know, how much we complained about Jaeger's rotations last year and just how much leeway I'm giving him this year. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, Shumpert just... starting and Bielitsa starting, if that was the case, if we knew that in the summer, we'd be like, man, those guys are starting after what, 25 games or whatever. Be like, come on, Jaeger. You're starting the two oldest players that you can conceivably start over Bagley and, you know, whoever you want to put it small forward. Yeah, we would have been very upset, yeah. but winning cures a lot of that. Well, and I think a part of it is, is last, well, 
last year was tough to stomach because the two main veterans that we were always complaining about were uh, Zebo and Zebo just shouldn't be on an NBA court anymore. And George Hill, who was taking minutes away from De'Aaron Fox. And so I think it was more easy to complain then when you were just staring at Zebo ISO possessions and a lot in a listless George Hill bringing the ball up. This year, the veterans who are getting minutes, you say Shumpert, Costa, and Belita, they're all playing fine to great. And they're all doing things that the Kings otherwise would not be able to do on the court. Like they don't, the Kings don't have a wing defender who has been as efficient and as successful as Shumpert has been. They don't have a stretch big who can shoot like Belitza does. And, you know, we already talked about what Costa is. So this, this is the kind of staggering veteran play that is, you know, it's easier to swallow when the team is above 500, but it's also like they're giving this team what they need and what they otherwise would lack. So I'm not going to complain about the vet, the veterans getting minutes when it's when it's working. Yeah, that's a good point. It is much different than last year. I mean, it's hard to get more. It's hard to have more of an impact than George Hill as a point guard. So you got George Hill playing 30, 35 minutes, <laughs> and Zebo. I think he had the highest usage rate in the entire NBA last year among bigs. So it's like at that point, those guys are your identity. And this year, it's very much the young guys and the pace is the identity, and the veterans are just filling in roles, and they're doing it really well. So it is much easier to stomach. And, and again, they're winning. So, And the veterans are playing roles that are complementary and helping out the young guys. Right. Moving on from the, uh, the very nice win against Phoenix, we should kind of, uh, I don't know, at least touch on the, the newest edition of, the, of King's drama, because I'm sure this will crop up again, even though the Kings have managed to kind of put it in the background after after that Phoenix win um, in, a, in a road trip coming up where the games look very winnable. So, you know, if I had to predict where the front office drama is going from here, I think it's kind of died down for at least a couple of weeks. We'll see what happens when the schedule gets tougher in December. But another report came out, uh, one by Sam Amick, one by James Hamm, where Jaeger kicked out Brandon Williams from a practice or a shoot around uh, before the Clippers game. And... It was ultimately because Vlade and Jaeger and Jaeger's agent had met after the Haynes report dropped, and Jaeger was under some assumption that the Kings would punish Williams for this whole thing, um, and they apparently didn't, and that's why Jaeger kind of took matters into his own hands and said, hey, I don't want Williams here right now. And according to Amick, Jaeger used that as like an example to his players, like, hey, this is how you have to stand up for yourself in this business that is the NBA, which is... I mean, that's a, a very brutal lesson to teach amongst your own coworkers, I guess. But um, that's yeah. kind of where we are now. What's your take on that kind of part two of the Kings drama where Jaeger kicking out Williams, and now it's kind of like we don't really know where things are from here? This is pretty much the only recourse left to Jaeger mm-hmm. is to uh, kick Williams out of the situation that Jaeger can control. And I don't blame Dave in the slightest. I mean, it this is both one of the better things about Vladi and one of the worst things about Vladi as a GM is he is so confident that he can solve all, all personality clashes. I mean, he did it when these, when the Kings were good back in the old days, he was that locker room guy. And I'm sure that there's some part of him that thinks now, nah, you know what, Dave, you just worry about the team on the court. 
uh, I'm going to keep Brandon Williams in check. Don't you worry about it. But at the same time, it's mind-boggling to me that an, an assistant GM, I mean, I wrote about this in the um, in the mailbag that Tim and I put out this morning, so forgive me if I repeat myself, but it's insane to me that an assistant general manager could publicly go out and make a power play move against uh, against his coach over minuscule minute differences, threaten the job of the best head coach this franchise has had since Rick Adelman, and and just think that it would all be okay and get swept under the rug. It is mind-boggling to me that Williams hasn't faced any any punishment for this. I mean, this was a team that was so proud when they got George Carl out and they said, oh, look, we're going to keep all the drama under wraps and, and, and you know, keep everything in-house. And this is the most public shaming thing that they've had since George Carl left. And why hasn't Brandon Williams been punished in any way whatsoever? I mean, Dave Yeager has done a fantastic job of changing this Kings offense to benefit his players. This team has a level of chemistry and camaraderie that they haven't had in a decade. And, <laughs> and the coach is, his job's got, his job got threatened. And the Kings response to that, Vladi's main statement on the issue was, Hey, Dave, just focus on your coaching. We're not going to do anything about this dude undercutting you and threatening your job. Just get over it. And, and, and even if that's not just insulting to a coach who's been doing fantastic work for this team, I mean, if, if Jaeger leaves this summer, you think any coach is going to want to come, any respected coach is going to come want to join this team now? You couldn't even have your coaches back when the assistant GM goes and, and starts talking to media people over a minute's difference. It's just crazy to me that, that the Kings just are like, no, we'll just sweep this all under the rug and, and hope uh, Dave gets over it and people forget about it. Yeah, it's, I don't blame, oh, blame Dave Yeager for any part of this. It's really difficult to see where this is going because I feel like the Kings think they hold all the cards here. And they think, or like, we have Jaeger under contract, so we can either fire him if he if he does what we don't want him to do, or if the Kings start playing poorly, or if he does if they play well and it becomes a situation where we can't fire him, then we have him under contract. But I don't think Jaeger really cares about his contract. And if the Kings play this yeah. wrong, I mean, you could still you could lose him. Like they don't hold all the yeah. cards, and I think Jaeger proved that when he kicked Williams out of practice. Like he's not afraid to get himself fired, to stand up for what he thinks is is the right move. And, you know, somewhere in those Amic or Haim reports, I don't remember which one, it was revealed that none of Jaeger's assistant coaches have contracts for next season. So really, the Kings are only on the books next year for Dave Jaeger for one more year. And, you know, Jaeger already worked his way out of one coaching job. He was under contract with the Memphis Grizzlies when the Kings hired him. Like, he was able to get out of his contract yep. so he could come and take the Kings job. That could easily happen this summer, especially with the stock Jaeger is at right now. I mean, he is one of the, I think it was either you or Tim mentioned it in the mailbag today, one of the, I don't know, most desirable head coaches in the NBA right now for any up-and-coming young team. If he becomes available this summer, either by the Kings firing him or Jaeger saying, I'm not working here anymore, he's going to find work yes. real quick. And the Kings, like, the Kings misplay their own hand a lot 
And they could do that again here with Dave Yeager, and that's what I'm worried about. If they don't do anything with Williams, and if they don't give his assistant coaches contract extensions, and if they let this season yeah. play out the way it's playing out with, you know, Vlade pretending everything's okay, don't rule out Jaeger saying, I'm out of here. That could totally happen. And then you're, I don't know where, you're back to square. I don't know where you're back to then. I don't know who you hire. I don't know how you move forward feeling good about Williams being here after he just got the best coach the Kings have had, in, like you said, since Edelman, out of town. I don't know where you move on from if Jaeger is not here next season. I don't know what you do. It, it is mind-boggling that this team is finally showing direction and, and chemistry and real solid development. It, it would be crazy enough to think that these assistant coaches haven't gotten an extension already. It's even more crazy to think that an assistant general manager can go out and do this and not face any kind of punishment. It's just absolutely mind-boggling. And I know that Brandon Williams has a ton of responsibilities for this franchise, and Vladi certainly needs assistants who can help with the day-to-day, but he's just so much easier to replace than Dave Yeager could possibly be. Especially with the relationship that Dave Yeager has built with his players and how he has them playing. Yep. You can't... It, like. The Kings haven't had continuity in so long, and we're, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when you have a coach in place for longer than a season. And this is what it looks like when you have a coach in place to develop players from when you drafted them to when they start to hit their primes, like you're seeing with, you know, De'Aaron Fox isn't anywhere near his prime. But when you see these guys start to reach that star or, like, that one level below star level under the same head coach, that's how you get there, is with having one guy, one coaching staff, one, like, developmental, you know, trajectory – and uh, to restart that at this point would be pretty devastating, especially when yeah, you consider, you know, what head coach is going to want to come here after, you know, Dave Yeager having to put his own future in jeopardy and kind of take off. That That is not a desirable position. And it's it's something we're going to keep talking about all season. It's going to overshadow the good play, unfortunately, because until something yeah. happens, either Yeager gets extended or his assistants get extended or Williams is out. This is going to be a conversation we have to have every week. Yeah, I'm sure the Kings want everybody to stop talking about this, but, I mean, it, it sucks. Nobody wants to talk about this when this team is this fun. But when it comes down to this could cost the team, the coach that's helped make all this happen, it's got to be the most talked about story until the Kings do something about it. Fortunately, there is other NBA news that is somewhat related to the Kings. Um, I think if you polled most people, they would say, Wing, and maybe more specifically, some size on the wing is the biggest need for this team, both this season, if they're going to make any noise uh, as a playoff Mm -hmm. contender or into the future. And some guys are available, and, you know, some of them already have ties to the Kings. Um, The Washington Wizards situation is a mess and a disaster that has been talked about a lot. Uh, Otto Porter has been rumored already over the last week to, you know, the Kings have had interest in Otto Porter, which we already knew. They tried to uh, max out Otto Porter when he was a free agent. They offered him the max, and... They pulled it back before Otto Porter ended up resigning with the Wizards. But Trevor Reza is available. The Phoenix Sun situation we've talked about a little bit is also kind of a mess. They have a lot of wings. Do you think the Kings make a play for one of these guys or someone else during the season to try and improve what they can accomplish here? Or do you think they'll kind of ride it out with the young talent they have and address it in free agency? I'm sure they've uh, they've tested the waters on both these players. I mean, we know that they've uh, already stated that their interest on uh, Otto Porter through Jason Jones's uh, article the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure they're checking on Trevor Reza because he'd be 
uh, another veteran who'd be a solid fit with this roster. Um, I think the difference here is that one is that Otto Porter would be a long-term solution for this massive uh, lineup problem that they've had. And Trevor Reza would just be another stopgap. And there's something to be said about the stopgap when you look long-term, but it's not solving anything. This wing issue has been a problem for Sacramento since Rudy Gay left. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And he's the only small forward they've had in the last decade. It's been worth anything. Mm -hmm. And Otto Porter would solve that issue. I mean, I've been on this Otto Porter bandwagon for the last two years. I thought he would have been a great signing for the Kings back when they had offered him the max contract. Of course, he went back to Washington. I still think uh, if they can get Porter out of that disaster that's happening in Washington right now, that he would just be a fantastic fit with this roster. I mean, they need a, a combo forward who can uh, switch on the best wing, defend them at a high level, and still shoot at a high level because, you know, um, Shumpert has his games offensively and he's been pretty solid defensively throughout the season. And uh, the other Kings wings have been chipping in here or there with good games, but there's just been no long-term answer. Otto Porter is 26. He's the age that can really, he, he's an age that can fit with this team's young trajectory and fit in with them long-term. So if he is available, I think that I would pay whatever it takes outside of, you know, the main core rotation to get him because he'd be such a fantastic fit. And I just imagine a a lineup of, you know, Darren Fox, Buddy Heald, uh, Otto Porter, Belitza, and Marvin Bagley going into the future. That's just three above average to near elite shooters. That's just going to open up the floor so much for De'Aaron Fox. That's going to give Marvin Bagley so much more room to create and, and scare around the basket. I mean, that is pretty near-optimized in your lineup right there, and you can't say that for you know many wings. There just aren't many wings on the open free agency market who could impact this team as much as Otto Porter could. I forget which member of the STR staff made this point um, over the last couple of days, but you know there are wings available that are nice. Trevor Ariza would be a nice stopgap option. TJ Warren would be a nice longer-term option. There are some other wings available out there, but Otto Porter is the prize for this team a million percent. I, yeah. Like you can't underestimate how good of a fit that is. You you already have your top three guards from from now and to the next five seven years. And De'Aaron Fox, Bogdan, and, and Buddy Heald. They have the guard situation locked down. You get Otto Porter. You have your, your small forward situation locked down. Then you're just looking at, you know, who emerges from the front court. And you've got great prospects there in Marvin Bagley and Harry, and Harry Giles. And we'll see if really Collie Stein sticks around. But that is all you need. At some point, you will need more. But in terms of getting to the next step and evaluating the next step of players and, and seeing how far these guys can take you, Otto Porter is the last piece to me. He's the... He's the he solidifies everything, and then you start looking at the bench and working on the role players here and there. But that gives you what I think is a playoff core. Once guys like De'Aaron Fox and Bogdan and Buddy and Bagley and Giles start to really hit their prime, that's a playoff team to me. That that's the prize. Go get Otto Porter. Yeah, I agree. I think the the if the Kings are serious about trying to make a playoff push not just this year, but, you know, next year is more realistic. Going and getting Otto Porter is the best way to seriously push this team into 
all right, we're going to start moving towards contention mode. You think they can do that without Buddy, Bogdan? Obviously, they're not trading Fox or Bagley, but can you keep Giles, Buddy, and Bogdan out of that trade? Well, if Washington really insists on having one of the, you know, Kings core five young guys, then the Kings can just hang up the phone because for what he is and what his contract is, I wouldn't trade any one of the names you just said for Otto Porter. But if we're talking about, you know, Willie Cauley-Stein is not a guy I think is in the long-term plans for this team. I don't, I don't know what the front office is thinking, but I think that he will become hyper-redundant for this offense in five, six months when Marvin Bagley really starts learning his role. And you're not going to be able to build a defense long-term if you're throwing Marvin Bagley and uh, Willie Cauley-Stein out there together. So if it costs Willie, sure. If it To get Porter, yeah, absolutely, I would make that deal. But if it costs Buddy and Bogey, no, forget it. Giles is the one name that I dangle out there and say maybe. Because I don't want to trade Harry Giles, but out of of that core, he's the one guy where I'm like, oh, I might. I might. I'll think about that. I'd probably say no. But. Yeah, you know, at that point, it's the. Well, Otto Porter is not exactly a uh, small contract. And I know that's one of the easiest ways for people just to write him off. Oh, he's scoring 11 points this season. And. And he's getting paid $25 million. Why Why in the world would you trade Harry Giles for him? That's where I start to, you know, the talent starts getting high enough. But I would really think that, you know, Washington continues to implode like this. And they say that, they can, you know, played really well in the last couple of days. So maybe, uh, maybe they're not quite so eager to trade Otto Porter. If this team continues to implode, I really don't think it would cost that much. I don't think it would either. This team's just not going anywhere. Otto Porter is the easiest contract to move. I mean, Bradley Beal is a contract to move, but trading him would also just completely destroy their talent base. Mm-hmm. Um, Bradley Beal's the guy they should keep long-term. And aside from him, Porter's the easiest guy to move because there will be plenty of teams out there looking for a guy like Porter. And, you know, I don't know what the uh, equivalent value is on a team that you know needs to clear salary, uh, but I would hope that it's not as expensive as, as you know a player like Buddy or Bogey. Maybe it's a price of Isles, and you know there's an argument to be made either way. But uh, if Sacramento can go out and get Auto Porter, I hope that it's the move they make because he's dismissing pace. Well, like the uh, Williams-Jaeger situation, that Washington situation is another one that we're probably going to keep talking about every week because it seems like it's a new... Uh, it, that that story moves forward just a little bit every time we talk, so I'm sure we'll, we'll hear from Otto Porter again before the year is over. Back to the Kings and their on-court stuff. Jaeger has made some slight tweaks in his rotation, most notably kind of deciding it seems like Bogdan Bogdanovich is going to come off the bench from here, at least in the in the near future and he's going to play him at backup point guard and kind of shove Frank Mason and Yogi Ferrell to the end of the bench and you're seeing a lot of Justin Jackson and Troy Williams playing together Yeager going with a bigger bench with uh, more wings which I I don't mind that but what are your thoughts on Bogdanovich transitioning to primarily backup point guard and then 
you know, playing a little bit off the ball when he does go in there with Fox and Bogey or and Buddy? Well, you know, I've always been on the bandwagon of Bogey should start alongside Fox and Buddy, but the way that Jaeger's been using uh, Bogey since he came back is it's pretty smart. I mean, he staggers him in to give Fox and Buddy rest, and it's really, really helped this bench be a lot more consistent than they were before uh, Bogey came back from injury. It, it, it's been working. I mean, he's been the most consistent and arguably the best king since he came back. Mm-hmm. And his chemistry with Biggs on the pick and roll is just insane. He certainly got the best playmaking eye on the team. And that's been a really big help in pretty much any lineup uh, he's been put into. And, you know, as they start getting closing out the game, Jaeger has been going with, you know, Fox, Buddy, and Bogey lineups. So it's not like those three guys aren't playing together. So I've been really happy with uh, how Jaeger's been staggering those minutes. My only regret there is that it has cost Yogi a real significant chance at, at uh, becoming a long, longer-term piece on this team because I was really hoping he could be uh, a microwave off the bench. Uh, but it's been, the lineup's been working so much that it's hard to complain too much. Yeah, another one of those things where before the season started, I was pretty hard on Fox, Heald, and Bogey need to start together, and they need to play 82 games, 30 minutes a night. Um, but with how nothing they've gotten from Mason and Yogi, I don't hate having Bogdanovich run the bench unit because we're seeing it pay off. Bagley and, G- and Giles have both been much better with Bogey out there with them than they were when Mason or Yogi was out there running the running the bench. Uh, Bogdanovich makes everybody better and he's still playing those crunch time fourth quarter minutes so it's not impacting the Kings at the end of the game where it's really important. I don't know if this is a move the Kings go with forever because it doesn't seem, you know, you can only have your best player on the bench for so long. We'll see how long Bogey is their best player. He's been since he came back, but that's because Fox has struggled a little bit and Buddy has come back down to earth a teeny bit, although Buddy has been largely the same player, but it feels like he's done a little bit less with Bogey here. Um, so I don't see how long Jaeger gets away with having his best player off the bench again if, if Bogey continues to be their best player. But it fits right now. It fits for what the Kings need. It fits for how Mason and Yogi have struggled. It fits for giving that bench some leadership when you have such a young front court off the bench in Giles and, Bug- and, uh, and Bagley when Kufus isn't playing. So I get it. It's interesting. It worked against Phoenix, although anything would have worked against Phoenix. Um, but, you know, again, another, another thing we'll monitor, where does Bogdanovich play and how does he fit on this roster? And Dave Yeager actually said it in a candid moment pregame. I don't think it was before the Suns game. I think it might have been before the Clippers game, where he said finding where the best place for Bogdanovich is is his hardest decision on the roster right now. And it is for myself and probably anyone watching the Kings too because he's so good. You want him out there starting the game, but... The bench needs him, and he can do too much that, you know, it's almost like you're wasting him in the starting unit when you already have guys like Fox and Buddy who can carry the load offensively. Um, So it's kind of like you're penalizing Bogey for being an all-around player, but that's just kind of how it is sometimes. Uh, And it's another one of those things where as long as the team is winning, I'm sure everyone's cool with this. Once they start losing, it might not be so cool. Yeah, and it's one of those things. You know, we always talk about starting lineups, and... It, you know, the, the candid thing as well, it's more important about who closes the games. And 
I think that is absolutely the case with Bogey because whatever situation Dave Yeager can put him in, Bogey has thrived. And you can't really say that about any of the other guys. Uh, I don't think Buddy would be as effective this year if he was coming off the bench. Fox certainly wouldn't be without uh, the the warm-up time. He takes a little bit more of a, of a lengthy time to get warmed up and, and revved in a game. Yeah. Bogey can just come off the bench and be hyper-efficient with the bench unit, and he's still getting those closing minutes, and the Kings can just throw out a lineup in the fourth quarter that can just knock out opponents because they're so tired of chasing around the Kings. Uh, and Bogdanovich's playmaking and ability to hit from anywhere inside 28 feet has been a really big part of that. So I know that this is a, uh, Jaeger said this was his biggest challenge, but I think it's been one that he's been really, really good at. And it's been working for him. It's been working for this team. So, Last point I wanted to make before we wrap up the podcast, because myself and everyone else uh, in Sacramento, it seems like, has criticized Justin Jackson at one point or another, deservedly. But I do like to kind of, in the interest of fairness, give some guy, give a guy some props when he when he plays well. Mm-hmm. And since November first, Justin Jackson has been shooting four sixty nine from three. Uh, now he's up to three forty four on the year, thirty four percent from three on the year. Um, it's a great turnaround for him. He's been coming off yeah. the bench, playing a smaller role, which I think is probably good for him, less pressure. Do you think Justin Jackson, are you getting anything from this? Or do you think it's just a yeah. hot streak that any NBA player could go on? Well, it certainly could be. Um, it really will. It re- he really needs to keep this up into February, I think, before I'll believe it's real. Because uh, I always point this out. He had one good year from deep at UNC and it was mm-hmm. his junior year before he came out. He shot 38% from three that year. And the rest of the time at UNC, he was a 30% three point shooter. So he could always regress back to being the, you know, 30% three point shooter that he was before this hot streak. But, you know, I never truly believed in Justin Jackson and we all probably gave him too much, uh, too much flack for his, for his poor performance to start the season. And, over the last week, week and a half, he's been fantastic. He's been uh, his shooting has been much needed on a bench that, you know, besides Bogdanovich and Bagley, has really been very shaky. Mm-hmm. So he, he's feeling a need. He's performing at a solid level. So hey, good for you, Justin Jackson. There's nobody in Sacramento that wants you to fail. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be watching Justin Jackson's three-point percentage. Uh, I know I'm checking it like every morning, so we'll, uh, yeah. we'll keep, keep that in mind. All right, Brian, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me on Sacktown Royalty. Tim and I just uh, posted a, a mailbag today, and uh, yeah. I uh, believe that uh, the rest of this King's road trip goes as well as that game in Phoenix did. Amen to that. All right, Brian, we'll catch up with you in a few weeks, I'm sure. Yep. Later, man. Thanks for having me on, Tony. Anytime. 
I'm ready to make my credits count. I'm ready to take classes from a university that will help me build on my experience to prepare me for the future. A university that will make me feel supported, encouraged, and connected. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today. I'm ready to make my credits count. I'm ready to take classes from a university that will help me build on my experience to prepare me for the future. A university that will make me feel supported, encouraged, and connected. Click this ad or go to online.odu.edu today.